terrible clap. Let me say thank you to Johan and Ferline for filling in for Kathleen. We were blessed to, to have them sing, and we're so happy to have you back, Kathleen, and to see that you're doing better. Praise God for that. A lot of people were praying uh, for you. Well, I have given myself an impossible task this morning. And, you know, they say we inflict the hardest pain on ourselves. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I have given myself the task of preaching a 20-minute sermon. There are currently wagers going on amongst my staff that there's no way I can do this within 20 minutes. And amen. What do you mean, amen? In a little while, there's going to be a guy walking down the aisle with one of those uh, carry cases taking your money. Well, the reason why we're going to do that this morning is because um, as a staff... We have decided that we're going to bring prayer night to prayer morning, and we are going to pray as a corporate body. This is what the early church did. It was the example that they have set for us. Peter, or Luke, does not say go and do likewise. However, he gives us a prescription or a description, excuse me, that explains to us what the attitude of God's people should be. And the attitude is this, that our behaviors are born out of our knowledge. That Christian behavior is born out of our knowledge. And that that behavior is particular to the knowledge, which is also particular, namely the knowledge of God. We're going to, this morning, invite three people up to pray And then I'm going to close with prayer, and we're going to pray specifically for the corporate body, that is, the corporate body that meets at Northwest Baptist Church of Confessing Christians. We're going to pray that our whole lives are offered as a living sacrifice to glorify God with everything that we do. A bicycle. Does everybody see that bicycle up there? A bicycle has many parts, and there are necessary parts, and there are sufficient parts. And necessary parts are what have to be there in order to have a bicycle. But if you only have those necessary parts, and you don't have the other parts, you're not going to have a sufficient bicycle. So if you only have two tires you don't have a sufficient bicycle. You have necessary parts of a bicycle because you have to have two tires in a bike, but you don't have a sufficient bicycle. You have to have all of the parts to the bicycle to have a real bicycle, and they not only have to be there, but they have to be in the proper place. Men, that's why the stores give you instructions for bicycles. It's to teach you how to put the parts in the proper place so that your child doesn't go over the handlebars based upon your faulty construction. So it's not enough to have the necessary parts of the bicycle, but you have to have all of them together and in their proper place 
Some people would call that an irreducibly complex object. In other words, I've got to have all these parts in their right place, and if I don't have one of those parts, it won't function. The Christian life is an irreducibly complex thing. We cannot not just have one necessary part and not have the other necessary parts. We have to have all the necessary parts and we have to place them in their proper order. We cannot get these things out of their proper order, these important or what I would call the essentials of the faith out of order, because if we do, we're not going to be a functioning Christian. And so we started a series on knowing God, a foundational view to the Christian faith. Many churches this morning will preach on sermons on how to have a marriage according to the Bible. Very important that our marriages be modeled after a biblical model. Some churches will preach on how to be a Christian tither or how to be a Christian social justice warrior. And all of those things are important, but they are not... Without the understanding of God, they cannot function on their own. They must be grounded in the true knowledge of God. The Christian life is more than living out the proper character traits. When we grow up, we tend to think that the Christian life is about a checklist. Checking off the do's and don'ts of proper behavioral traits. It's more than simply worship or believing in God. We think that if we come to church, we bring our Bibles, we say a prayer, that that in and of itself is enough. But if we have only the correct character traits without worshiping God, our faith is incomplete and impersonal. Many people tell me, I am a good person. And then they begin to list the character traits that make them a good person. But those character traits in and of themselves are not enough to say you are sufficiently a Christian. Other people will tell me, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray but they don't have the Christian character traits that accompany the true knowledge of God. And so both are necessary, but without the other, both are insufficient. It is faith, it is works together. However, the works, just like our bicycle analogy... And the faith have to be ordered correctly. No one begins to love God by works. The proper love of God is born in us by the Holy Spirit. And the outgrowth of that love for God turns into works. That is the proper relationship. 
So if we only worship God and our faith doesn't have works, it's incomplete. If we only have character traits, excuse me, without worshiping God, our faith is incomplete. If we worship God without the right character traits, our faith is incorrect. And neither are sufficient to what it means to be a Christian. Either way, both correct Christian character traits and worship of God are not in themselves and by themselves enough to be deemed an adequate Christian life. And these two cannot be out of order since they are also irreducibly complex. Faith, the just, shall live by faith. But James told us that true faith has works. That our works justify that what the Holy Spirit has wrought in us is real. Jesus compared it to a tree that bears fruit. If you're an apple tree and you don't bear apples, or if you say you're an apple tree and you don't bear apples, you're not an apple tree. At least, not a good one. Not one that has any use according to Jesus. And these are his words. He tells us that trees that don't bear fruit, that the axe is already at the root. To be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I built this beautiful squirrel house for Susan. She hired me. She spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars to invest in me getting these tools to build her this squirrel house. And it's beautiful. And her tree died and she's got to cut it down. And now she has no place to put this squirrel house. What good is a dead tree? It doesn't even house squirrels. They're irreducibly complex, requiring not only that both correct Christian character traits and the worship of God be made manifest in our lives and that they be placed in their necessary and sufficient relationship. And it is only here where the Christian character, true Christian character, can flourish. Here's my point this morning before I get into the application. In the conclusion of the sermon series on knowing God, I want to wrap up essentially what we're driving for. True Christian character is only ever truly formed in the proper worship of God. Let me say that again. True Christian character is only ever truly formed in the proper worship of God. It is properly basic to our faith that all Christian character traits be the outgrowth of a new reality, namely that we bear the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 
and that the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. In light of the knowledge of God and what we know about him truly, we are to reflect our father. But this proper worship of God is only ever produced in the true knowledge of God. So many people are excited about God, but we ought to ask them, are you excited about the true God of Scripture? It is one thing to be excited about something or someone, but it's another thing to know who that person truly is and to be excited about them. Many quote-unquote believers around the world today will show signs of excitement in their churches. But we have to ask, what are they excited or who are they excited about? The proper worship of God is only ever produced in the true knowledge of God. It is God who defines himself, and it is God who defines how he is to be worshipped. The two first two commandments are to have no other gods before God and to make no graven images, to worship God the true God only, and to worship the only God truly. God defines himself as the true God only, and to be worshipped as the only God truly. So that knowing God is properly basic to everything that we are, that if we want Christian marriages to flourish... If we want to have Christian management of our bank accounts, if we want to have Christian relationships with others and other races, and we want to be effective for Christ in the social arena, all of that has to be born out of a true knowledge of God. One of the most terrifying things to me today in our current cultural climate is that there does not seem to be a single voice preaching the truth about God like there was in the times of Martin Luther King Jr. Where is the voice that unites in truth but does not seek to divide or separate the truth from unity? It is not unity at all costs, Christian, that we must seek. It is truth and the unity that is the outgrowth of that truth that is the goal of the Christian church. But not only this, knowing God truly is therefore the beginning of all true Christian living. Knowing God truly is the beginning of all true Christian living. I am saying this. Many of us will go and live lives that we believe are Christian. But if they do not reflect the true nature of God, they cannot be considered true Christian living. Listen to what Peter says. 
Peter says this. At the end of his call to the churches to recognize their suffering plight in the light of the knowledge of what God has done for them, that they are now suffering for that. Peter calls them exiles, that is, that they are separated from their home. The home that he speaks of is heaven. And he says, in this time between our salvation and the time when God returns, here's what the Christian church is to be doing. Preparing your minds for action. The word there actually means to tuck in or gird your loins, but to tuck in a long robe and be ready. Whenever I try and get my children ready in the morning and say, come on, let's go, they're never ready. They don't have shoes on, they're on the wrong feet. Kellen's wearing sandals when he needs to be wearing sneakers. Claire's having a nervous breakdown because she doesn't like purple, she wants black. They're not ready. I'm ready. The word here means to be ready. And it calls back to Luke where Jesus said, be ready. The servants must be ready for the master's return. And we are to be ready in our minds, preparing our minds for action, being sober-minded, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's interesting about this passage is that there's only one verb in the imperative. That means the command, and the rest are taken from it. And it's this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Essentially, Christians, the motivation for preparing our minds for action and being sober, that is self-controlled in our thought and having a right life, is based in the true message of God's return. So that the verse would properly be read, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ by preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. In other words, it is the truth of the knowledge of God that should be preparing our hearts for worship. What makes this Lord's table special is not the bread or the wine. It is the truth that it conveys. That it is Christ's body, not yours. It is Christ's blood, not yours. And this morning ought to be a moment of spiritual nourishment. It is the moment where we remind ourselves that we are forgiven in Christ. It is the knowledge that Christ is coming again that should keep us on our toes and on our P's and Q's prepared with a sober mind ready for God's return. As obedient children, notice this. The word child, 
speaks of the relationship that we have with God as our Father. But as I made mention of several weeks ago, that relationship that we have with God as Father is not based upon being human. It's based upon being adopted. As obedient children, think about the filial relationship between a child and his parent, a child and his father. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Essentially this, children live like your father. You see, if you don't know your father, how can you be like him? If the Christian life is about do's and don'ts and not about the person of God, how can we fulfill this command to be like him? We don't even understand some of the commands that God gives us to be like him because we see them as dry commands. Why would God say to me, I can't actualize this physical, ironic love that I have for this person even though they're not my, my spouse? Why would he say no to me? Does he want to torture me? Why would he keep me from enjoying the passions of the flesh? It is because he is your father and your father knows what's best. Your father wants what's right for you. If when you're out there in the world and the only thing you have to go on for obeying the Christian character traits is this character trait versus this one and not a love for a person, how will you ever succeed and make it all the way to God? I know many young Christian people who love God. Who say they love God. And they were showing this in Christian character traits. But when temptation came, their faith was in a list of morals rather than in a person. Rather than wanting to please the Father. Even when you don't understand why your father has asked you to do this, why your father requested, it is my love for my father that makes me want to obey. It is not my necessary understanding of this trait he wants made manifest in my life, but it is my love for him. And though he asked me and I don't understand, I obey because I love my father. Those of you who bet for the under, sorry. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Notice that the call is not holy conduct. This is irreducibly complex. It is both. And it is in their proper order. It is to love God. Children. Why ought you to be holy? Because your father is holy. Don't you want to be like your heavenly father? Isn't that enough today? Do you need more? Do you need five reasons why your marriage would be better if you abstained till you were married? 
Or is this enough? When God gave his commands to the people of Israel, the command above all commands was to love God and love neighbor. To be holy as God is holy, as your Father is holy. When Jesus came along and preached the Sermon on the Mount, the ending of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes these words, Be holy, for your heavenly Father is holy. So that, yes, the character traits are there, but they are born out of a real relationship with the true or one and only true God who is your father. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then Peter, as if to give us one more reason for why we ought to be holy, says this. The Bible says so. And that's enough. Since it is written is equivalent to saying, because the Bible tells me so. Yeah, but what? Because the Bible tells us so. Because true faith takes God at his word, even when we don't understand. True faith trusts God in all things when there isn't greater understanding to be gained. True faith is taking God at his word and knowing that even though this life situation seems inconsistent with his character, that we know he knows best. He is holy Lord, sovereign Lord, in control of all things from the greatest to the least. He says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Christian, the life that you've been called to is not to be simply a moral person. You have not been called to simply attend church meetings. You have been called to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Let's pray. Father, let us understand that this morning. You are Father. You are Father. As our earthly fathers have given us many commands and we have not always understood why they gave us many commands, it was our instinct to run out into the street. It was our Heavenly Father who lovingly pulled us back, who set commands to protect us. When we went into our homes and we saw our earthly fathers, though fallen, live life, we wanted to be like our fathers. We saw the wisdom that you gave them, the gray hair that was earned by a life of blood, sweat, and tears, the years and years and years of not living their lives for themselves, but sacrificing for us. We wanted to be like our parents. God, teach us now to be like Christ, to be like our Heavenly Father, 
God, you did not count equality with God to be something grasped. Christ, you came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. It is my prayer this morning, Lord, that we would reflect your glory, that we would love you, Father, and that we as Northwest Baptist Church would reflect your glory in all that we say and do. We love you. Amen.